0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate.
1: And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back.
0: Today, you'll learn about some really counterintuitive findings on OCD and decision-making, how albatross might fly on a wave of sound, and a new understanding of the relationship between ice and fungus.
1: Without further ado, let's satisfy some Curiosity.
0: A new study has revealed some really compelling, if not kind of confusing, results on how people with obsessive-compulsive disorder make decisions and understand risk.
1: I know researchers have had a lot of trouble understanding the mechanisms in the brain that lead to OCD, right? Like, so is this new study just adding to the confusion?
0: Well, no. Any new revelation just adds to researchers' understanding of this disorder. But it might be helpful to talk about the study and the results before we talk about why this is actually pretty groundbreaking. So as you know, OCD affects millions of people around the globe. People who suffer from it describe intrusive thoughts that they just can't shake, that border on obsessions. They have repetitive behaviors that they can't seem to stop.
1: And one of the classic examples is handwashing, right?
0: Exactly. And that's actually a great example for this study. So researchers had 83 participants divided into three different groups. The OCD control group, those are people who have an OCD diagnosis. The second group was OCD patients who have had surgery to correct some of their behaviors, and the third group are people without any symptoms or diagnosis of OCD. They wanted to compare how each group would go about making choices in which risk was involved.
1: Got it. Okay, so what kind of behaviors were they looking
0: for when it comes to risk? They wanted to know a few things. First, if presented with a choice where you could be mostly certain of the outcome, how fast and accurately could you make your decision?
1: Okay, I wouldn't imagine it would be all that different between the groups. Like, if the outcome is certain, it should be an easy choice, right?
0: You'd think. But they also wanted to know the same about choices that were less certain and even risky. So, what
1: kind of choices were these? I mean, you're making it sound kind of dangerous.
0: (laughs) No, no, nothing, nothing dangerous, but they did set up something that could feel kind of high stakes. They had them gamble.
1: Ah, yes. Okay, so let me guess. They presented them with a sure thing to see how they'd bet?
0: Well, sort of. So they had them play a card game. Cards were numbered 1 through 10. They were shown a card and had to guess if the next one was going to be higher or lower. And they could either bet or pass.
1: (laughs) Okay, you can actually play this game in Animal Crossing. It's really cute. Um, So I'm familiar. (laughs) So if I have this right, if the first card is a 1, you'd put all your money on the next card being higher, right? Right.
0: That is the idea, yes.
1: But if it's a five, you just can't be so sure where the next one's going to land. So maybe you pass on fives. So did those with OCD have trouble deciding which way to go when there's more uncertainty?
0: No, and that is where this takes a wild twist. Those with OCD had more trouble when there was more certainty. Wait, what? When the outcomes were more certain, like say the first card was a two or a three, those with OCD needed more time to make their choices. And yet, after taking more time to decide, they still had worse outcomes.
1: That? That is baffling.
0: They don't totally understand what's going on here, although they took brain scans as these decisions were being made and found that in the participants with OCD, the parts of the brain associated with uncertainty processing just weren't firing up the way that they were in the healthy participants.
1: Okay, this is actually really surprising.
0: So think about this. Remember we talked about the hand-washing example. They say that could be a great example of how certainty doesn't figure into their decision-making. They can wash their hands to the point of being almost certainly clean enough, but it doesn't exactly register.
1: Yeah, okay, that makes sense. So what's next for the study?
0: They want to open this up to larger studies and try to unwind what's really going on here and to make sure that these results are repeatable. But this could lead the way to potential new therapies that could target uncertainty processing in folks who suffer from OCD. And any new and effective treatment is a bet I'll take any time.
1: The albatross has the largest wingspan of any bird, with the wandering albatross measuring a wingspan between 8 to 11 feet, tip to tip. And with all that wing, they can actually go years without touching land, spending somewhere around 80% of their lives at sea.
0: 80% of their lives without landing. That's incredible.
1: Well, they will take flying breaks on the surface of the sea, but they are absolutely incredible flyers. The northern royal albatross can fly for 13 straight months and go nearly 50,000 miles without touching solid ground. One gray-headed albatross was recorded making a complete trip around the world in just 46 days.
0: Okay, so maybe I'm a little late to the game here, but like how? How are they, <laughs> uh, can they do that?
1: So, that's what researchers wanted to know. They already know that they are able to stay aloft for long stretches of time because of something that's called dynamic soaring. It's a way of riding the wind, sort of like a surfer would ride the waves. Their long wingspans allow them to tap into the energy of the wind, which lets them use just a tiny bit of energy to soar through the sky. In fact, it's thought that they burn less energy soaring than they do just sitting on dry land.
0: That's pretty incredible. They're just literally built to live in the sky.
1: And at sea, which is where this new study comes in. Because while we have some idea of how they stay in the air and even out to sea for so long, a question remains. Once the albatross finds itself a thousand miles in the middle of the ocean, how does it know where it's going?
0: I guess I hadn't even thought about that. There's not a lot of Landmarks out at sea? Are there
1: <laughs> not? Not landmarks, technically. Uh, no. So water everywhere, no land in sight. And yet albatross are expert navigators. So how do they get from point A to point B when those two points are thousands of miles apart across vast stretches of ocean?
0: I'm gonna go with something like with magnets. Not like not like magnet magnets, but like they can tune into the magnetic field of the Earth and go from there. Do they carry around like star charts or? <laughs> Sextant.
1: So the magnet theory, that's actually one that's been around for a while. There's also some new evidence that they use their sense of smell to get around. However, this new study suggests something even cooler. Albatross might navigate by tapping into something called the voice of the sea.
0: Oh, the voice of the sea. This is starting to sound like a fantasy novel. (laughs)
1: Yeah, no, it really is. I kind of had the same thought. But actually, it's called microbiome infrasound. It's a very, very low-frequency murmur, lower than the human ear can detect, that's caused by the interaction of ocean waves at the surface. When they collide, they generate a pressure in the atmosphere that researchers believe the albatross can detect.
0: The uh, voice of the sea. Exactly. Okay, but this is about navigation. If the voice of the sea comes from waves bumping into each other, Wouldn't that change all the time? Like, you can't really make a map of ocean waves crashing into each other, because they do that in different places constantly, right?
1: Yeah, no, you got it. So the research team analyzed flight trajectories against maps of modeled micromerum infrasound and found that the albatross tended to head towards spots where the voice of the sea was the loudest. But why? (laughs) So they believe it has to do with atmospheric conditions. When the voice of the sea is really loud, that would imply that the waves are more active.
0: And more active waves might mean a more windy atmosphere, better for flying.
1: Oh, there you go. You got it. But it also could mean more tasty fish maybe churning up the waters just below the waves.
0: All right. Do other animals hear this little whisper?
1: Oh, they're actually not sure how many animals can use these low-frequency sounds to get around, but they do know that the homing pigeon was able to hear it. So scientists definitely have a long journey of study ahead of them, but this finding is a nice little
0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Arctic is melting.
1: Wow. That is just the most cheerful way to start a story now, isn't it?
0: Mm, I'm afraid not. I know. (laughs) Of course, we talk about the Arctic because it's kind of the canary in the coal mines of global climate change.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, I know it's warming a lot faster than the rest of the planet, right?
0: By some estimates, it's warming three times faster than the global average. And that is not all. The rate of ice and snowmelt is actually increasing. And that has huge impacts not only on the local ecosystems in the Arctic, but on the whole planet's climate system. You lose sea ice and you start seeing oceans warming faster, You get stronger winds and heavier rains and rising seas. And obviously big problems for all kinds of wildlife.
1: And this is the stuff we talk about, but it's always hard to hear again. Um, One thing we talk about a lot is just how hard it is to predict what's going to happen next.
0: That's actually a great segue to the findings of a crazy new study that looked at how something called PBAPs helped create ice in Arctic clouds.
1: (laughs) PBAPs, I mean, that sounds like a subgenre of like electronic dance music. Hmm. That too. That too.
0: But in this case, it stands for Primary Biological Aerosol Particles. And they're basically just teensy little specks of life, like bacteria or fungus, that float around in the air. And until now, scientists didn't have a very good picture of how they affected the climate in the Arctic.
1: Okay, so is this like, is this pollution?
0: Well, with a name like PBAPS, you'd think it was some kind of nasty chemical, right? But mm, actually, no. Most of this stuff comes from either sea mist or the plants and animals and dirt and all that organic stuff on the land.
1: Sure, then what does this have to do with the ice?
0: Good question. Turns out these little particles are like wizards that can just conjure up ice even when it's not super cold outside.
1: (laughs) Okay, what? How do
0: they do that? Think of PBAPs uh, like little seeds floating through the air. When they gather in clouds, ice can form around them. So they could be incredibly important to the climate of the Arctic. And because the Arctic is so vital to the rest of the world's climate you get the idea.
1: Yeah, but wait a second. So what you're saying is that fungus in the Arctic can actually determine the future of climate change?
0: (sighs) Sort of. It's really one of those crazy variables that climate models might have been missing. So being able to measure them in the wild will give scientists more data to make more accurate predictions. And that's a huge deal.
1: Okay, so why are we just learning about them?
0: Thing is, while scientists have just about always known this stuff gets kicked around in the air, they had a hard time measuring it because it's so minuscule. But with some super high-tech gear, the research team who conducted this study observed air and cloud conditions over the course of an entire year and found that there are more PBAPs in the air than they previously thought.
1: So would that mean more ice?
0: It could, But the bigger picture here is that by studying these tiny invisible particles, scientists are unlocking secrets about our whole planet's future. They may not be sure how PBEPs will affect our global climate, but that's the point.
1: Gotcha. So it's kind of like that butterfly effect. A single butterfly wing flaps in South America and eventually causes a tidal wave on the other side of the
0: world. That's a great analogy. A fungus particle in the Arctic cloud could play a role in coastal flooding in, say, Florida. Now, what that role is, that remains to be seen. But with this new data, we're about to see a clearer picture of our climate future. Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. In a groundbreaking study on decision-making in people with obsessive-compulsive disorder, those with OCD struggled to differentiate between high and low uncertainty when it came to making choices. This neural insight might explain why those with OCD are more cautious, yet often less successful in their decisions. Exploring
1: the mysterious long-distance navigational prowess of the albatrosses, researchers recently unveiled a fascinating possibility. These seabirds might be tuning into the microbiome infrasound, also known as the voice of the sea, to glide effortlessly across oceans in search of food and good winds to soar on.
0: Scientists uncovered nature's tiny ice-making wizards in the Arctic called PBAPs, revealing that these microscopic particles from plants and fungi play a huge role in shaping our planet's climate. This discovery unlocks secrets about the Arctic's fast-changing environment and holds clues to our planet's future. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can find our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd love if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.
1: Our Discovery executive producer is Dominique Vu. Our Wheelhouse DNA executive producer is Cassie Berman. This show is hosted by Callie Gade and Nate Bonham.
0: Our producer is Kiara Noni, and our associate producer is Kimaya Floyd. Writing is done by Sam Osterhout.
1: Sound design, audio engineering, and editing by Nick Karisimi. I'm Nate Bonham. And I'm Callie Gade. We'll see you next week.